Todd, can I get you to go just a little closer to the mic? Yes. Is that better? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, my name is Tariq Munib. I was born in Halifax, raised in Ottawa, and uh, I currently live in Switzerland, and I just finished uh, producing and creating the film Free Trip to Egypt. And you're also a Carleton alumni? I am. <laughs> I graduated uh, from the Faculty of Computer Systems Engineering. Okay, perfect. And so, uh, Tarek, I think we, we can get started. Great. So, hello, Tarek, and welcome to Aluta Continua. Uh, thank you for having me. Tarek, you had the premiere of your film, Free Trip to Egypt, last night at the Bytown, right here in Ottawa. How did that go? Um, it was really spectacular. Um, we've been to uh, hundreds of theaters in the United States, um, but last night was the, the actual the Canadian premiere, and to have it in my hometown was, was just really uh, a special thing for me. And uh, to see a, a packed theater and, and then a standing ovation, um, it was quite moving. So, Tarek, tell us a little bit about your film. What is Free Trip to Egypt about? Um, it's about a journey of uh, exploration into uh, human kindness versus fear. Um, in the in late 2016, I was feeling quite anxious about where the world was heading, the trajectory of, of uh, polarization and demonization, and I felt myself feeling fearful, even fearful of Americans. Um, so I thought, okay, I don't want to become afraid of Americans. I don't want to withdraw. So why not approach people in kindness, uh, the very people that I think fear me? And then the idea came, well, why don't I just randomly approach uh, Americans on the street that are concerned uh, about the Middle East and, and offer them a free trip to Egypt? So the film follows the whole journey, the search for people, all the interactions, and we actually found people, very interesting people, that we brought to Egypt, um, paired up with Egyptians, and we followed all their journeys. And it was just phenomenal. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. We let the film just unfold. And, and, and the magic and the twists and turns were, were just incredible. One of the places you went to to recruit people for the film was a Trump rally. What was that like? Um, well, that was interesting because, ironically enough, that moment was the moment where I regained my faith in humanity. Um, at, at a Trump a, rally. At a Trump rally, yes. Because I think reading the news, hearing um, about you know uh, people's support of, of Trump and a lot of the, the, the racism, etc., you build up this anxiousness. You feel like the 60 million people that voted for Trump are all bigoted and racist. That's kind of the perception that I was building up in me. And when I went to the Trump rally, you realize, you know, there are in my opinion, very few really bigoted people in the world. There were the bigoted people. I met them, and there's no access to them. But most of the people, even when they were saying things that might sound bigoted, were saying it from a place of, of uh, fear, a place of just not knowing, and a place where they just wanted to protect their family. And when you took them seriously, you actually could connect, and you realize, you know, th these aren't threatening people. These are human beings just like um, you and me. And this was the beginning of the journey of discovery, that there is hope for the world without us having to convert each other to different political or religious views. And, and that was the whole kind of thread of the film of discovery that I, I discovered. 
When you initially approached people with this proposal of a free trip to Egypt, did people take you seriously? Um. Uh, no, um, many people thought it was a, a scam, uh, but some people did. Uh, some people thought it was serious, but were, were, were thinking we were crazy to do it. Uh, there was a lot of suspicion. Some people uh, were like, uh, I don't want to be kidnapped. Uh, you think I'm, I'm stupid? I'm, I'm not going to go to Egypt and get beheaded. And there was a lot of hate. What are you doing taking people to, to such a horrible place, right? Um, so so it, was, it was a challenging search and a challenging journey. Um, and then there were the people saying, oh, that's wonderful. I would love to go to Egypt. But you didn't really want to just take those people either. So, so by nature, the people you wanted to take were the people who didn't want to go. Um, so it was quite difficult to find that sweet spot. Um, but eventually we did. And we found seven interesting Americans and we followed their journey. And in terms of how you came to these seven Americans, how many people did you have to choose from? So after you found that sweet spot, I guess what I'm asking is how many people were in that sweet spot and then how did you narrow it down to the seven? Um, to be honest, the number of people that were in that sweet spot that wanted to come were seven. We took everybody that would have, we felt was perfect. Many people that um, would have wanted to go and were also perfect, we had much more than seven that were in that sweet spot but in the end didn't want to go. And the reason was not fear of terrorism, was not fear for their safety. The reason was fear of looking bad on camera. Interesting. Vanity. Yeah. So, Tarek, tell me a little bit about the people that actually went to Egypt. Tell me about these seven people. Well, this was the fascinating part. This was really the, 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 the magic. So we had a retired school teacher um, who talked about the change that happened to her in uh, after September 11th, that all of a sudden something just just um, shifted inside her and she became extremely afraid of all Muslim men and she couldn't even look them in the eye, right? So part of the magic then was, okay, who are we going to pair her with? So we paired her up with a young Egyptian Muslim revolutionary, right, just to see how they would react. Um, we had um, uh, a very zealous Christian evangelist in his early 30s who came uh, with uh, Miss Kentucky, a former Miss Kentucky from his church who wanted to spread the love of Jesus and baptize Muslims. So we took them and we paired them up with a very orthodox Muslim family, with the man with the beard, the woman covering her face, the kids covering their hair. So that was a really fascinating dynamic, what's going to happen, that we, we met at the Trump rally, uh, a former Marine veteran, really big, tough guy, and we paired him up with a beautiful Egyptian dancer. So there was all these really fascinating threads and experiments in, in, in human interaction that we followed. And, and it was just, just amazing what unfolded. And how did you go about finding the hosts for these seven Americans? So it was much easier to find hosts because I think going out of your comfort zone um, to a foreign country is much different than receiving somebody in your home and, and uh, hosting them. Um, but at the same time, I wanted people that I could really trust. So we had a really stringent process in terms of people I knew or I knew people who could vouch for people. Um, and we tried to also then get a diversity of Egypt. So you'll see in the hosts, some of them are very, um, the Orthodox family, very practicing, right up to the, the Egyptian uh, woman dancer who drives her Harley Davidson in, in Cairo, right? So there is a, a very diverse mix of people. 
Tar, do you think this film could have been made with Canadians? It could have been made with anybody. Uh, I'm <coughs> excuse me. It, it could have been made with Canadians. You could have brought Egyptians to America. You could have, um, you know, brought. Uh, Ottawans to Canada. I mean, there there's so many uh, divides and connections and, and misunderstandings between people. Um, this was just one example of a journey we wanted to follow. After making this film, what would you say is at the heart of some of the problems that we're experiencing in terms of xenophobia, in terms of fear? I, I believe it's, it's trust and escalation. Right, we we are so fearful of one another. We stop listening as soon as someone uses a word. We assume we know what they mean, right? If they use the word wall, if they use the word ban, um, we're not open to to hearing each other anymore. And I think as soon as we we give room and space for each other to have a conversation, um, we we're not so different as we think. Beyond doing what you did, which is to offer people a free trip to Egypt, how else do you think we can start to bridge that gap and start communicating and start start listening and speaking to each other? Well, what's happened after the film, so we had, um, end of last year, um, six pre-screenings in the United States. And we showed the film to, to in New York, L.A., uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Kingman, Arizona. And it showed me that the people want to connect independent of their political views. And that started what we called the Pledge to Listen campaign. And, and that's bringing people and communities together just to listen and dialogue. So on, on June 12th, we had what was called the Pledge to Listen Day of Unity in the United States, where people watched the film together. And then after that, we streamed a live panel discussion from Washington, D.C. And people from all sorts of political and religious views came together. And, and just simply by coming together and listening to each other, we created new hope. And on that panel, we had Marla Maples, Trump's former wife. We had uh, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, a Democratic presidential candidate. We had an advisor to Trump. We had a former associate secretary of state under Obama, right? So I think people, when we just um, come together to listen to each other and say, you know what? We don't have to hate each other. We don't have to convert each other. We can just listen to each other. Then there is a new hope. And that's what we're finding, and that's what's spreading across the country through the film and through the screenings and through Pledge to Listen. So, Tarek, you have an interesting journey in terms of the fact that you were born in Nova Scotia, you grew up in Ottawa, you now live in Switzerland, Europe, and you made this film in the U.S. What are the differences that you've seen between all of these countries in terms of these issues of the spread of fear and our inability to listen to each other. Are you finding this in all of those places or are you finding that in some spaces people are a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more open to listening to each other? And I should also mention that you spend a lot of time in Egypt as well. Right. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I think each country is similar in that we have the people who don't listen, we have the suspicion, we have the fear. I think everywhere is the same in that regard. Um, I don't think uh, any country is, 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 is perfect. I think some countries in some phases of their um, development have less fear, more inclusion, are willing to, to speak more, but it, it comes and goes in waves, right? So I think even in Canada, um, which has always been 
because I was born and raised here and I love the, the, the concept of integration and multiculturalism and I think Canada is a shining example of, of how you know we can come together uh, through shared values um, even here, right, we have our waves where, where the discourse all of a sudden gets very emotional and not, not, you know, symbolic of what Canada's all about. What did you learn about yourself throughout this process? I, I also had to explore and I was confronted with my own prejudices and preconceptions, right? So I judged the Marine from a Trump rally. I assumed I knew what that was all about. I assumed this was some just macho guy who liked to blow up things, right? But when I got to know Brian, I realized his whole reason of being a Marine was love. He had a tattoo um, on his shoulder. It was a biblical verse about the greatest love is to sacrifice your life for your brother, right? And his whole concept of the Marines, being in the Marines was about you know, the brotherhood and the love and the bond. So I discovered that. I discovered my intolerance when I was speaking to the Christians. I was trying to see, explore with them, is it not possible that other religions um, could also provide comfort and, and, and beauty? And, uh, you know, they had this, this zealous view of, no, it's just theirs. And I was arguing that all the time. And then I realized, why should I argue with that? Why do I need to convince them if they are not violent why can I not just let them go and be who they are? And when I let go of the desire to convert them to toler tolerance, um, I discovered a really beautiful person in front of me that's actually more courageous than me, can you know, praise for people, who loves people, etc. Right? So I don't have to, he doesn't have to have the same ideals as me, but we can still live together and we can still be friends. It's funny you, you talk about trying to convert people to tolerance because I feel that that's, a problem or not a problem but a challenge let's say that many people who do, do think that of themselves as tolerant or progressive have is this idea that we need to convert others who aren't tolerant or don't see themselves as progressive to this side and that there's no in between and there's no bridge and I think that's something that is going to take some time, but it's really comforting to hear that, that you were able to let go of having to convert people. How much of a problem do you think that is for both sides, that we need to convert the other side, that we need to agree in order to get along? That is the essence of the problem. That is the essence of the problem. And, and me, I was wearing my Make America Great hat at the Trump rally to get access to um, Americans and, and, and the MAGA people. And then I crossed over to the anti-Trump people. Some of them shook my hands. Others just refused to speak to me because I was a racist. And I was like, okay, if I'm a racist, let's talk, right? So I understand the anger, but if you're cutting off and, ju and judging people, you're not going to solve the problem. So I think we have to be really strong against ideas that are, that are um, violent and hateful. That's clear. But we need to be a bit gentle with the people and, and tolerant of other views that are not violent and are, are not equal to our own. Tarek, if I understand correctly, this is the first film that you've made. Yes. What was the most challenging aspect of that journey for you, both personally and technically? 
Um, I think every phase of the film project offered its its own challenges. Every time I thought we were through, uh, there's there's a whole new set of challenges, right? Um, firstly, setting up the team. Um, that was really a challenge in the beginning. Um, because I've been able to lead projects in, in other areas, I was able to g get good talent. Um, getting the Americans, that was a challenge, and then getting the trip. And then finally, when we finished filming, we had 250 hours a film footage. So then we had the, the huge editing challenge. And then finally we, we, we got this amazing film together. Now you've got the whole distribution and promotion challenge, right? So eat, along the way there's, there's always been um, fascinating and exciting challenges. Do you think this will be your last film or are you thinking of another project? Um, the, this is the beginning of the project. The film has started conversations. The film has started the Pledge to Listen. We're working with 30 national organizations in the United States and just starting to work with others in Canada that want to see more tolerance in the world, more listening in the world. We've, we've joined up with the, the Charter of Compassion, uh, the Alliance for Peace, um, all sorts of uh, organizations because our film is a trigger of a conversation and these organizations can tell people what what they can possibly do to continue the conversation so that's that's the beginning so the film in itself was was fun for me but what set me on fire is this need to to continue the conversations so this for you is very much a new journey or a new phase in your life you are a software engineering or engineering you are a software engineer and now you're a filmmaker. Does this mean that you are no longer a software engineer? Or are you now going to take on filmmaking full time? Well, I, 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 my, the last time I programmed software was, was 1996. And then, and then I became a manager. And then since 2003, I've been running software companies. So I think my, my management and my leadership is what let me, uh, enabled me to, to lead a film project. Um, so it's not really the, the film itself, it's leading this, this and facilitating these conversations is where is the new part of my journey now and I'm focused on that. So if that needs another film, I'm in. But the excitement for me is the connections. Tark, I'd also like to ask you, why did you choose film as a vehicle to tell this story and to get this message out? I think... Um, we're not going to get anywhere through intellectual, analytical discussions. That's not how we reach each other. We reach each other through, through people and stories. Um, as soon as you see me as a human being, as soon as you see my story, um, you, will, you will trust me more. You will see that, that you know, who I really am. And, and I think through the film, we were able not just to take seven Americans on a journey, but all the, all the audience as well. Um, and I think that's the power of film, is taking each other on, on our own life journeys and sharing that with, with the larger world. Tariq, thank you very much for joining me on Aluta Continua. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.